verses. And then the rest of us are in Ephesians chapter 5. We're looking today at verses 8 through 21, Ephesians chapter 5. This is the walking test. And those, the people who are leaving right now are going to miss this important piece of information. So you'll, you may have to tell them when they get back, especially if it's your spouse. The key to a happy and lasting marriage might be as simple as expressing gratitude. That is telling your partner, thank you, that you appreciate them. This is according to researchers from the University of Georgia in a study published in the Journal of Personal Relationships. I didn't know there was a journal called Personal Relationships. The researchers interviewed 468 married individuals about their relationship satisfaction, covering everything from their communication habits, conflict, and personal finances. They found that the most significant predictor of happy marriages was whether one's spouse expressed gratitude. Feeling appreciated and believing that your spouse values you directly influences how you feel about your marriage, how committed you are to it, and your belief that it will last. These findings were true for the good times, but even more so for the very difficult times. When married couples experience stress, when their communication devolves into what researchers called a demand-withdrawal cycle, I don't know if you've ever been in a demand-withdrawal cycle in your marriage, Uh, that is, um, when one partner demands or criticizes the other, and then the other tries to avoid the confrontation. And notice this. Gratitude can disrupt this cycle. It can act as a buffer to this whole thing about sort of attack withdrawal. The lead researcher, Ted Futris, writes, What distinguishes marriages that last from those that don't is not how often they argue, but how they argue and how they treat each other on a daily basis. The research concluded that the power of the key to a happy and lasting marriage might be as simple as regularly expressing gratitude, saying thank you, is a practical way for couples to strengthen their marriage, according to the research. Good news. God already wants you to be thankful. And God has provided a way for you to express Thanksgiving, because when a believer is empowered by the Holy Spirit, Thanksgiving is an overflow of the life, being thankful. And uh, this is a huge help to our families, to our homes, and to our marriages. Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to read Ephesians 5.18, so I encourage you to open your scriptures to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to pick it up at verse 8. Here's what Paul writes. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of life consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. 
For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is the light that makes everything visible. This is why it said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So we'll start right there. And uh, we have two points to talk about this morning. The first one is uh, verses 8 through 14. Walk in the light as Christ followers. Walk in the light as a Christ follower. And you have an outline right in your program. I would encourage you to follow along. And so walk in the light. Well, why? Why are we to, are, are we to walk in the light? First of all, because your identity has changed. Look at verse 8. You were once darkness. That's your former life. But now you are light in the Lord. There's been a change. Your old idea was in the darkness, meaning you were separated and disconnected from God. You couldn't be in the light. You couldn't have a relationship with the light. Once you place your faith in Christ... This is what we've been seeing in the book of Ephesians over and over again. You were given a new ID, a new identity in Christ, who you are. That's what, that's what this whole series has been about. Let's see your ID. Let's live out who we are in Christ. You were once in darkness, but now you are light. Therefore, this is the implication, live as children of light. That word live literally can be translated to walk. To, to walk as children of light. Um, we are light in the Lord. As we are in Christ, in relationship with Christ, we are light. Um, Jesus is a source of light and he is a source of strength. And we reflect him best when we are well connected in relationship. You are connected if you're a follower of Christ. But where are you in your walk, in your alignment with Jesus right now? Your identity has changed. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 reminds us of the change. For he has rescued us. God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. That's where we were before. And brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Into relationship with Jesus Christ. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's all part of our our ID right there. We've been rescued. We've been brought into the kingdom of the Son. And we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Four things right there about your ID. Your new identification in Christ. Our identity has changed. Also, verse 9, because God is light, our character is to reflect Him. And so we see uh, we're to walk in the light. Verse 9, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Fruit is what grows out of the nature of a plant. And when we placed our faith in Christ, uh, we were connected with Jesus We were given the Holy Spirit, and what's going to grow in our life is what's planted. And uh, character development, the character of God, goodness, righteousness, and truth uh, are an overflow into our life. 
as, as we grow as believers, as we mature, our heart grows and um, out comes goodness. And that's a focus on um, its love and action. Just think of goodness as being love and action. And it's a focus on others and helping others. Uh, goodness. And then righteousness, right living, right relationship with God, and truth. And focusing on truth brings honesty and integrity and following uh, God's truth. John chapter 8, verse 12, reminds us, uh, let's skip, yeah, thank you. I forgot to delete that one. John chapter 8, verse 12. But it's okay if you want to go look at John chapter 1, verse 5. It's okay. John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, that's pretty amazing. Jesus claimed to be the light of the world, and he came into the world to expose darkness and so that people could see what God is like. And he said, whoever follows him will never walk in darkness. I don't want to walk in darkness. And the, the, the idea here, the point is, is that as we follow, if we're following him, we're always in the light. It's when we get off the path that's the problem. And we can end up in a darker place. When we're following, he's never going to lead us into darkness. Never, never, never. Jesus described his followers this way in Matthew 5, verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. So Jesus is, he said, I am the light of the world. Now he turns to his followers and says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Uh, light is to be seen. And, and he uses an example of a town. You see it on a hill. Well, it's going to be lit up at night because people live there. Verse 15, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. That's silly. Light is to be seen. It helps things be visible in a dark room. Instead, they put it on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, that goodness, that they may see love in action, your good deeds, and glorify your Father in heaven. This is an amazing evangelistic strategy designed by God. And as we follow Christ, as we serve Him, as we serve our community, and uh, just reminded, I got an, I got an email yesterday. I, I didn't talk to Kim about this, but I got an email yesterday from Kim Neal, and she was in Shatek helping with the tornado. That's exactly the kind of thing Jesus was talking about. And by the way, they still need help, Kim tells me. And so they're glad to have volunteers. I know you can volunteer through the uh, Evangelical Free Church in Rice Lake, but I'm sure you can connect with the community because they still need help. Um, We were involved in a huge loss in a tornado in 2005 in our church in Stoughton. And uh, houses were totally devastated and just crushed. And we were on national news every day until Hurricane Katrina came about seven or eight days into our disaster. And uh, it's huge, and people need help. And that's where we can reach out 
by doing good deeds. And it shines, it reflects something about God. What is God like? Well, he cares. He's merciful. He's good. Um, and, and then we come uh, to uh, verse 10, the freedom to choose. And then, you know, we're to walk in the light. And then verse 10 is find out what pleases the Lord. Uh, this is an interesting thing. Find out what pleases the Lord. Do you know what pleases the Lord? You probably know several things that do. But here's an interesting thing. Christianity is not a set of rules. You know, the Bridge Church has these rules. Don't, 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 don't. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is about a relationship with God. And God wants you to respond to Him because you want to. Because you've experienced His love. You've experienced His forgiveness. You've experienced His kindness and His generosity. And He wants you to choose to love Him back. And He wants you to find out what pleases the Lord. He doesn't necessarily... I can give you advice. I can tell you what the scripture says. But you have to make your own choice. You have to choose. You respond to God. Hebrews 5 verse 14 says this. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use. Solid food. He's talking there about the word of God and understanding scripture. We, you know, the Bible talks about as new believers or young believers. The Bible is difficult and it's like, uh, it's like described as spiritual milk. Babies need milk. And then they grow, they get table scraps, and then one day they can eat solid food, they can eat T-bone steak. Solid food is for the mature, not for brand new believers, who by constant use, a lot of experience here, constant use of applying Scripture to their lives, have trained themselves... There's a responsibility of training yourself to distinguish between good and evil. Not everything is black and white, by the way. There's a whole lot of things that you experience in life that are gray. And it's not always easy. Is this black or is this white? Well, there's a lot of things you have freedom in. And you still have to make decisions. What, what will you do? What does God want you to do? What, what principles do you apply and you're going to get trained as you continue to grow to distinguish good from evil. Um, and so this, this responsibility we have as, as we grow is to learn to discern. Verses 11 and 12, the dark path uh, the Apostle Paul describes here. He says, have nothing to do with fruitless deeds. That doesn't mean you have to, but rather expose them. That doesn't mean you have to. You know, make a sign and go out and stand on the corner and say everything you're against. That's not what he's talking about at all. You see, light exposes darkness. As you follow Christ, you're going to light up the place. And you're going to be a positive influence. And whether people know that you're following Jesus or not, they're going to start seeing things that about the character of God by watching your life. And uh, we're to live as children of light. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness. So what are those fruitless deeds of darkness? Well, let me just read a few. 
that we're not supposed to talk about, okay? This is from last week. Chapter 5, verse 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality because it so confuses people about the gospel. It so confuses people about who Jesus is. There must not be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity, which really is wide open for the whole problem in the U.S., and in the church with pornography, every kind of impurity or of greed, the whole area of materialism, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity. You know, Christians get really sloppy with their speech. We talked about that last week. There shouldn't be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Oh, there it is. Gratitude, again, that's what we're put in place. So we come to uh, verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Rather, expose them. Uh, Paul is pointing out some behavior is worthless. It bears no fruit, nothing good. In fact, it can be very evil. Verse 12 It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. So, you know, living in in America, we have the freedom of speech. We sometimes place that as the most important value, or like it's God who said that. And it's great to have freedom of speech in in America. we We don't have to speak about everything. We don't have to talk about everything just because the government says we can God says, you know what? There are some things that are inappropriate. You don't even need to talk about them. You don't need to think about them. Um, And here's one of those things are, well, what are those things? Well, I don't need to give you a list of things we shouldn't talk about. You can ask God directly what's appropriate for you to talk about. And I'm not going to be your police But you can discern what's appropriate for you to talk about. What's, what's appropriate for you to... Humor is great. Laughter is a great medicine. Book of Proverbs. Some humor is off as out of bounds. It, it, it doesn't honor God. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. So think in terms that light exposes darkness... We do need to stand for truth. We do need to speak for truth. Mostly in a secular environment, we need to live for truth so people can see us and they might want to talk to us about why we live the way we do. What's important to us? What are our values? Um, It's one of the best ways to be in a conversation about truth. But when it comes to Christians, Christ followers living in darkness... We have a higher calling. We need to step it up. And we need to lovingly care for Christ followers when they get sloppy in their walk. Colossians 3.16 reminds us of this. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. You know, my job isn't supposed to be the police of the church where I go around checking everybody. They used to do this, you know, a couple hundred years ago. This was kind of the American pastor's role. Was 
But it's our job to care for each other. Sometimes in our care, we do need to admonish one another. And if we're in a loving relationship, we ought to receive when somebody notices, hey, I have a question about this. Are you doing okay? Uh, How can I help you? Uh, Have you considered this? You know, it's okay. It's healthy. It's not just the job of leaders to do this. It's in relationship. And the best thing is when a friend can tell a friend, and it's just between the two of them, and nothing ever gets said outside of that. And one of the problems is, is when somebody gets out of line a little bit, and then it also becomes gossip which adds a whole nother layer of problems for the church. Um, Galatians 6.1 tells us to do this and to, do, to be gentle. It's like resetting a broken bone. Jesus gave us these instructions in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 18, about go to the person in private first. Start there. Verses 13 and 14, the light of Christ exposes uh, human darkness. The light of Christ exposes human darkness, verse 13. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is the nature of light. And then verse 14, this is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And that's a quote in your text. And... Therefore, we should ask the question, well, where in the world does that come from? And the answer is, I don't know. We don't know. It's apparently not a quote from the anywhere else in the Bible. It's not a quote from the Old Testament. It could be a compilation of several passages in the Old Testament. It's more likely a proverbial saying, something that was common in Paul's day, something that was used among Christians. And I sort of see it as an invitation for people to place their faith in Christ. For people to wake up, um, to wake up and rise from the dead. You need to be born again. You need new life. And Christ will shine on you. And Christ will sh- shine. He will, he will transform. He will show you um, how to please God. And uh, you can be transformed. John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, uh, Jesus said this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. By the way, it's Jesus. Everyone who does evil the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear what their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. That's really important. Living by the truth is walking in the light. Uh, God's word Uh, gives us direction on how to live, instruction on how to live. It's spiritual food. It uh, benefits us. It helps us grow. It causes us to thrive. It shows us the way, and it exposes darkness so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Light shines and shows us our sin. Um... And when, when God shines on our lives and gives us this opportunity to respond back to him 
It's an opportunity for us as followers of Christ to, to be realigned with Him. And when, when sin is exposed in our lives, it's an opportunity for us to confess our sin and agree with God and ask God to cleanse us from sin. And then we're cleansed and we can be in the light again as children of the light. Okay, that's verses 8 through 14. Now we're going to jump to verses 15 through 21. It's walk in wisdom as a Christ follower. Walk in wisdom. We have the careful walk. Verses 15 and 16. Be very careful. Kind of important here. Be very careful then how you live or how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. So we're reminded here that wisdom comes from God. Foolishness is man operating in his own, with his own values and his own choices. Um, and then verse 16 is making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Well, why should we be careful how we walk? Because the days are evil. Temptation is everywhere, isn't it? You know, we just talked about all this sexual immorality and impurity. And we live in a really unusual time in the history of the world. Of the temptation with impurity and sexual immorality around us. Available even in our homes. Why is this important? Because the days are evil. How do we do this? Be careful. Um, there's a, it's watch out. It's... Be very observant in your spiritual walk with God. Be on the alert. Be reflective about where you are in your walk with God. Um, ask God to show you what He would like in your life. This is, we do a lot of living where we're just going through the motions. It happens to me, it's really easy, where I just get busy and I keep doing things, and I may be doing good things. But being careful how I walk is, okay, I need, to, I need to pull back here. I need to do some reflection. I need to slow down. I need to give God an opportunity to sort of do an evaluation with me. Maybe I need to journal. Maybe I need to write some things down. Maybe I need to create a prayer list around what these things are about. And uh, this is being careful. It's not, it, you know, there can be a rhythm to life. It's not something you have to do 24 hours a day. But periodically, take time to reflect. So how do we get wisdom? How do we walk carefully? How do we walk wisely? James 1.5 says, if any, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. We can get wisdom from God. We can ask. We would probably be embarrassed if we saw how many people had asked God for wisdom in this last week. I don't know. But we can ask God, and he gives us wisdom. Wisdom is often the ability to discern the difference between black and white. How do I navigate gray areas in life? Wisdom is the art of skillful living. Another thing we can do besides asking God, we can ask wise people. The book of Proverbs says wisdom uh, 
comes with the abundance of counselors. So asking many wise people that you view as wise can help you determine wisdom. Verse 17 is the unwise course. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't be foolish. Discern. Make a distinction. Distinguish what God's will is. What is the Lord's will? What is God's will for your life? Let me tell you, it's not about who you should marry. God cares about that. It's not about what job you should take. God cares about that too. And he can answer prayer about those things. What is the Lord's will? Let me give you a little support here. First Thess, chapter 5, verse 16. Rejoice always. That would be a Holy Spirit-filled life. The fruit of the Spirit being joy. Rejoice always. That's God's will. Pray continually. That's God's will. Give thanks in all circumstances. There it is. Gratitude again. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we'll start there. What's God's will for your life? Rejoice, pray, give thanks. First Thess, chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans or unbelievers who do not know God. This is God's will for you. God's will for you is sexual purity, whether you're married or not married. God's will for you is sexual purity. Are you living in God's will right now regarding sexual purity? Romans 12.1 Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And the other NIV says this is this is God's will for you. And uh, this, this is God's will. And have you presented your life to God, total, your total being to God? Have you, are you all in, in your walk for Christ? This is God's will for your life. 1 Peter 2.15, one more. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant and talk of foolish people. It is God's will that you and I be doing good. It's love in action. It's good works. It's serving others, caring for others. Um, and when we do, it exposes the darkness. Verse 18 is a picture of contrast. Um, first of all, we have something that is not the Lord's will. We've just seen what the Lord's will is. What's not the Lord's will? He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or excessive living or living out of bounds or licentiousness or uh, the whole idea would be leading to sexual immorality. This is not God's will. Um, do not get drunk on wine. Are you free to drink wine? Sure. Jesus drank wine. 
They used wine in communion. Um, 1 Corinthians 11 in the church at Corinth. And, of course, they had a problem there. Some of the people got drunk uh, at communion. That was a problem. And Paul had some harsh words for that. Um, The issue here is the whole issue of influence, being under the influence. What are you under the influence of? Who is in charge? Who is in control? And the issue is uh, too much wine or too much of any chemical or drug can influence a person where they're not in control and they're not rational in in their behavior. Um, That's not the Lord's will. Because it leads to poor choices, uh, dumb mistakes in immoral actions and activities. But this is true. Verse 18, the Lord's will is instead be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. This is an issue of control. Being filled with a a drug or a substance or alcohol brings control from something else. Being filled with the Holy Spirit being, brings control from Him. And um, every believer, when they come to faith in Jesus, receives the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives in every believer. But that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit controls every believer. There's no command for, you, for the Holy Spirit to indwell you because that's a gift of God and that's what God does. But there is a command for you and I to be filled. There's something that we do. We need to give up the control, not be in charge of our own lives and ask God to help us, ask God to fill us. And um, sometimes that's just as easy as confessing our sin to God, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us of all unrighteousness. And when I'm a cleansed vessel, I'm, I'm in a good place for God to be in control. When I'm a clean vessel, and I can ask God to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Um, by the way, just as a reminder, we've read this passage before, but there is no command in the Bible to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit, it's just a real practical thing. But listen to this. This is 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Is it God's will for you to be filled with the Spirit? Absolutely. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask from him. It's by faith. I ask God to fill me, and I just trust that he has, and that I'm, I'm going forward, and he's in charge. Yeah, I can take control back, and I just need to stop and reboot. But it's God's will that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and we can be. Verses 19 through 21, we're going to close this out, the fruit of wise living. The fruit of wise living. Here's, there's a command here, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. All the commands that follow, all the verbal forms that follow are participles. doesn't show it in the NIV. In the NIV. 
They're all participles, and they all modify the main verb, what it means to be filled. And all these things flow out of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. First of all, a rich spiritual community among believers. We see this in verse 19. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. There's there's a dynamic that happens when believers are gathered. It can be sharing Scripture with one another because uh, we are... uh, in a close relationship with Christ, and those things are on our mind, and it's easy to apply them, and it's easy to talk about them, and it's easy to share them, and it's easy to help other people, and it's easy to want to learn from other people. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. We do that on Sunday morning. We sing together. Singing is a part of the formation of the church And singing even is instructive. We learn good theology in our songs, if they're according to truth. And through generations, through 2,000 years, the church has been passing truth through their music and their hymns and their songs. And there's a horizontal thing that happens in this corporate worship. But also there's a deep overflow of worship, verse 19. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. There's a horizontal part, and now there's that vertical to the Lord. It's an overflow of the heart. It's a joy making music from your heart. doesn't mean you have to be a great singer. I qualify. Joy comes from the heart. It's not about how emotional you are. Some of you are very emotional and you really enjoy getting into your music and some of you wonder, what's wrong with him? But it's about our hearts. It's about connecting with God in our hearts. I find worship extremely uplifting to me. Connecting with truth and seeing that, I just want to say, yeah, that's right, that's right. And, but I, you know, I, I have to protect myself from getting too emotional. And then... Uh, Verse 20, a sincere thanksgiving in response to God for all his provision. Verse 20, always giving thanks to God, the Father, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what a Christ follower does when they're filled with the Spirit. It overflows into thanksgiving. That's why it's so important that we walk with Christ. Because we just spill over an attitude of gratitude. It's good for our marriages. It's good for our kids. Remember we talked about was a couple weeks ago how hard it is for kids to learn to say thank you? It's just not their nature. We can model it in our homes by our hearts being connected with God. And then verse uh, 21, a humble service for other believers in the body of Christ. We are to submit to one another out of reference for Christ. We'll look at this again next week. Um, one of the overflows is this Attitude of humility as we relate with other believers and the value we have for others and treating them with dignity and kindness and um, deferring to them and putting the needs of other people before us. It's a humble service for other believers. Christ. So we are to walk in the light as we follow Christ. We are to walk in wisdom as we follow Christ. We are to be careful how we walk. Are we being careful? Are we just going through the motions? Stephen Kingsley was in a family business of carpet cleaning. 
he tells that in his business, they offered a special uh, service to their customers to um, help them remove uh, pet odors and pet stains. And so the way they would do this is they would show the customer, they would try to darken the room as much as possible, turn out the lights, close drapes or whatever it was. And then they would turn on a very powerful black light. And the black light caused urine crystals to shine brightly. The homeowners were often shocked. Every dribble, every drop could be seen. It was on the carpet. It was on the walls. It was on the drapes. It was on the furniture. It was even on lampshades. Homeowners often were just sickened. They would do whatever it takes to clean this up. The offense was there all along. But now they could see it. Now it was visible because of the light. God shines his light on us. To show us what things need to be changed. He doesn't do this just to make us feel bad or to feel guilty or feel ashamed. But to show us what needs to be cleansed. So we can reboot. So we can be right with him. So we can confess if we need to. So we can walk confidently that we're okay with God. And his light shines through his word. And when we see ourselves in the reflection of his word, we can see what is important to him. Let's ask God right now to be our light. And I want you to stand with me. Our Father, we just pause before you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction We understand that you want us to walk in the light, that you have made us light in the Lord, and we shine brightly as we're closely connected with you. You, We want us to be careful how we walk and to walk in wisdom. God, right now, we just want to open our lives and hearts to you. Lord, how are we doing? What is it that you want us to change? Is there sin that we need to confess Just as we stand here right now, just talk to God privately from your heart. Is he concerned about your speech? Is he concerned about your thought life? Is he concerned about your attitude or your lack of gratitude? Is he concerned about some of your behavior? Just ask God to help you identify anything that would help you. And Father, right now, we, just, we come before you humbly and we just confess to you our sin, our failure before you. We ask you to forgive us. We ask you to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I thank you, God, that you've heard that prayer and that you answered right now that we don't have to wait. And then, Father, I ask that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit, each of us, that you will control our lives, give us the power we need to love you, to love each other, to serve each other. 
May you continue to work to build your church. May you continue to work to help conform us to be more like Jesus each day. We commit all these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.